0: you are capable of learning medicare policy and by learning medicare policy it sure helps you avoid some of these situations because if you understand what medicare covers what they don't cover what they're paying for it is a lot easier to avoid incidentally billing for something or doing something that violates the law Hi, I'm Clarice Grody, and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Amplify OT podcast. It's Clarice, and I'm here to talk to you about compliance. Now, I know compliance is not a word that sparks a lot of excitement in most of you, but it's something that's really important. And it's not just the responsibility of the business owner or the compliance office, but it's also up to us as individual clinicians. Now, compliance basically means that you are just following the action or complying with the policy that's required. So you are following the rules and not only is following the rules part of, well, our entire judicial system, but it's also part of the code of ethics and understanding the rules and regulations. And so it's hard to say that you're fully in compliance if you don't understand what those rules are in the first place. One of the main reasons that compliance is so important because it's important to remember that violating a Medicare policy, it may not seem like a big issue or you think, oh, it's just Medicare it's not going to impact my license or my livelihood. And I want you to throw that idea completely out the window because that is exceptionally false. Violating a Medicare policy is not only a possible issue against your license, but it's also a violation of a federal law. Medicare law is federal law. So violation of these policies can cause you jail time, massive fees, as well as a potential loss of your license. And even if you don't lose your whole license, you could potentially lose your Medicare license, which is your ability to bill Medicare. And good luck getting a job in adult rehabilitation if you don't have the ability to bill Medicare. So, yes, sometimes it is the larger companies that are held responsible versus the individual therapists, but that doesn't mean that individual therapists are completely immune to being charged with a criminal lawsuit by the Office of Inspector General because it has happened multiple times. And I want to be clear that I'm not trying to scare anyone or make you panic, but it's because I want to communicate that we need to get rid of this idea that the policy isn't important, or that you can just treat a patient and not worry about the money piece, because how Medicare pays for things is actually built into Medicare law. So if you aren't following the reimbursement structures appropriately, then you are potentially violating Medicare law and policy. So with that heartwarming pep talk, let's get back in today's topic. Now, I just did a series of videos on Instagram all about skilled nursing facilities and issues that they faced with compliance and reports and charges that were brought against them by the Office of Inspector General, or the OIG. And it's clear that this information really resonated with a lot of people because, especially with the old RUG system, it was pretty clear when we as therapists were asked to do things that we didn't feel comfortable with, In order to optimize reimbursement, it was a common practice, but that doesn't mean that it was legal. Basically what was happening under the old RUG system, if you provided more therapy, skilled nursing facilities made more money. So they would ask therapists to provide lots and lots of therapy, regardless of what the patient may have needed in order to receive a higher reimbursement rate underneath the RUG levels. And even though this kind of abuse was definitely rampant under the RUG system, it's still happening. I mean, even the other day I saw an OIG report talking about a skilled nursing facility getting in trouble for changing Section GG scores in order to make a patient look less functional in order to receive more money because CMS pays more money for patients who are less functional than the more functional ones because of how PDPM is structured. But if you want to watch those videos about the sniffs, then go follow me on Instagram at amplify underscore OT and all three videos are there. But again, I also want to say this definitely isn't just skilled nursing facilities. It happens in home health. It happens in outpatient. It doesn't happen as often in the hospital, at least not affecting OT because we don't necessarily always directly influence reimbursement in the hospital, but it happens in all settings as well as independent clinics. So... SNFs definitely have a bad track record, but it isn't just skilled nursing facilities. So why did these facilities get in trouble? Well, it's because either someone reported them or Medicare became aware of the issue, and these reports returned into the Office of Inspector General. If you aren't familiar with the OIG, I recommend looking them up, but basically what they are is they describe themselves as the nation's forefront in fighting waste, fraud, and abuse and improving the efficiency of Medicare, Medicaid, and the more than a hundred other Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, programs. They also happen to be the largest part of the Inspector General's office within the federal government and have over 1,600 personnel. So that's a lot of people who are fighting, basically, healthcare waste and fraud. So one of the main ways that therapy practitioners tend to find themselves on the wrong side of the law is with the False Claims Act. Now, there are a couple other ways, especially like the anti-kickback statute, but I'll save talking about the anti-kickback statute for like another video because it's a whole other can of worms. But what we're going to talk about today is the False Claims Act. Now this act sounds pretty straightforward basically you violate the act if you submit a false claim but what a lot of practitioners think about when they think of a false claim they think about submitting something that didn't actually happen and yes that would be a obvious violation of the fca so if you say that you provided therapy so let's say you bill medicare for a 30-minute session but that 30 minute session never occurred, that would be a very clear, obvious potential violation of the False Claims Act. But the ones that people more often get in trouble for are not exactly that blatant. Another fun fact about the False Claims Act is that whoever successfully brings forward an issue and the government is able to receive a recovery, the person who brought forward the issue gets a portion of that recovery. This is also what we most commonly call whistleblowing. And this isn't just a tiny little rinky-dink kind of law. The Department of Justice actually reported that they have attained back more than $5.6 billion in settlements from civil cases just in the fiscal year 2021. And to be clear, I don't mean that they've received $5.6 billion like since they started in the 70s. I mean that for the fiscal year of 2021 total, so 12 months they received $5.6 billion dollars back in settlements and judgments for civil issues involving the False Claims Act. And over $5 billion of those dollars were because of matters related to healthcare. So again, not a tiny little rule violation. This happens a lot. I'll be right back after this break to talk about whether or not CMS cares that you didn't know that you violated the law, and give you some other examples of common ways that occupational therapy practitioners find themselves on the wrong side of Medicare. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy you will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AmplifyOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AmplifyOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support AmplifyOT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. Another important thing to note about the False Claims Act is that oftentimes intent is not considered when prosecuting this law. So that means that if it is reasonable that you should have known that you were violating the law, they can still prosecute it. So just because you say, I didn't know that was wrong, doesn't mean that the person is immune from being prosecuted underneath the FCA. And if someone or a facility is found guilty guilty of violating the False Claims Act, they may be responsible for fines up to three times the program's losses, plus $11,000 per claim fine, per claim filed. So as you can imagine, that adds up. That's why most of these OIG cases are for hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And so under the FCA, they define knowing to include not only actual knowledge, but also instances in which the person acted basically in deliberate ignorance or kind of a recklessness. So basically, you didn't do any of your own due diligence to look up what the law actually required. You just followed what someone else told you to do or whatever it may be. That means you didn't do your due diligence in ensuring that you were complying with policy so you can still be prosecuted under the False Claims Act. So especially if you are starting your own therapy business, you need to make sure that you know some of these laws in and out. In addition to the financial uh, pain that you'd feel for violating the False Claims Act, it can also uh, come along with criminal time. So that means you could potentially go to jail and be imprisoned with uh, violations of the False Claims Act, and that does occasionally happen. So with all of that fun information, you may be wondering what exactly constitutes a false claim. Now, first and foremost, like we said, submitting a claim for something that just didn't happen, obviously a violation of the false claim. But one of the ones that tends to be a bigger issue, especially for therapists, is when a claim is submitted for something that isn't covered by Medicare. So meaning the therapist or a skilled nursing facility or whomever submitted a claim to be reimbursed for a service that didn't meet Medicare coverage criteria of primarily being reasonable, skilled, and necessary. So that means that the service provided has to check kind of those three boxes. So it means that medical necessity piece, it's reasonable and necessary for that patient's condition, and it must be skilled. So if you're billing for services that aren't skilled or don't fall into that reasonable and necessary category, then you could be potentially submitting a false claim, which is the primary reason that most of these skilled nursing facilities got in trouble was for submitting a claim for services that either maybe weren't provided or that didn't meet the coverage criteria of being reasonable, necessary for that patient's condition, and skilled. Another way that some people fall in trouble with the False Claims Act is for submitting claims for services where appropriate supervision was not provided. And this is especially important in private practice. So, under Medicare Part B, in private practice, occupational therapy assistants, as well as physical therapy assistants, have to receive direct supervision that means that someone the supervising ot or ot that means that the supervising ot or pt has to be on site and available for direct supervision it doesn't mean they necessarily have to be in the room but they have to be directly available on site so you can't be providing virtual supervision like you might be under part a where you can provide general supervision so private practice has completely separate supervision requirements Now, obviously, there are some exemptions currently under the public health emergency, but assuming that the public health emergency isn't happening, direct supervision of OTAs and PTAs is required within Medicare Part B for private practice. So if appropriate supervision was not provided and then a claim was submitted to get that service covered, then that would be a violation of the False Claims Act potentially because you were submitting for a service that wasn't covered because you didn't meet the appropriate criteria for coverage, which includes supervision laws. And the other way that I'll mention is definitely not as common, but does happen, um, is if you submit a claim for a service that you provided while you were not licensed. So let's say a license lapsed or you forgot to renew it, whatever the case may be. And, you provided a service to a patient and then you filed a claim for that to receive reimbursement technically that would be a potential violation of the false claims act because you submitted for a service while you were not licensed which means that the service isn't covered because medicare only covers services at least from an occupational therapist or physical therapist or whomever if they are a licensed clinician. So submitting for a claim without a license would be a potential violation of False Claims Act, not to mention numerous other laws that would be potentially violated both at the state and federal level. But at least for this scenario, it would potentially be a violation of the False Claims Act. Now, this is definitely not an exhaustive list of all the different potential possible creative ways that someone could violate the False Claims Act, but it gives you a pretty good idea of the fact that it doesn't just mean filing for a service that wasn't provided, it can be filing for services that aren't covered, whether you knowingly or unknowingly knew, (laughs) whether you knowingly or unknowingly filed a claim that was not covered by Medicare. So again, to tie it back to my whole shtick, understanding Medicare reimbursement and policy is important to to help prevent you from violating a false claims act incidentally. Now, since I like to end these podcasts with just a smidge of a ray of sunshine, I will go ahead and tell you that you are capable of learning Medicare policy. And by learning Medicare policy, it sure helps you avoid some of these situations. Because if you understand what Medicare covers, what they don't cover, what they're paying for, it is a lot easier to avoid incidentally billing for something or doing something that violates the law. And helping practitioners and students like yourself understand what Medicare covers, what they're paying for, Medicare policy and health insurance policy, is the entire reason why I put together my Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course. Now I know, how original, right? Promoting my own course on my own podcast. But... I will tell you I would not support this course and I would not put it out if I didn't think it was high quality and if I wasn't proud of the work that went into it. I am so excited seeing the results from practitioners and students who have been taking this course. I've had students contact me and tell me that they finally are starting to feel prepared for their field work and for their first job. Um, practitioners who say that even just after watching a few videos they're already feeling smarter Um, and I love that because personally as a new grad I definitely got told to do things that at the time I didn't realize was illegal and that was a violation of Medicare policy because I just didn't know right and at that time you just kind of want to do what your boss says and you don't really want to think that your boss is going to tell you to do something that's not allowed But had I known then what I know now, I definitely would have been able to reduce my risk. um, And I definitely would have been able to better advocate for myself and for my job. So head to the link in the show notes or to my website and look for Mastering, OT Policy, and Medicare. It is a five-hour on-demand course. It is not your typical CEU course where you're getting all this information that you may or may not need to know. And it's someone just reading from slides to a room that you're not in. It is me talking directly to you through easy to understand on demand videos. I cut out all the extra stuff and gave you just what you need to know in videos that generally are no more than about 15 minutes. So head to the link down below in the show notes for mastering OT policy and Medicare. If you want to learn, how Medicare actually pays for your services and avoid being in one of these situations. All right, that's it for me today. I will see you next time. And thank you again so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast and I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?